0: I'm Dr. Jamie Grant, I'm a Bossy Femme Bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. Welcome to emergency podcast number two. I'm here today with a longtime love and collaborator, Dr. Debanuj Dasgupta, whom I met more than 25 years ago, as we were working in parallel organizations trying to address all of the impacts of the AIDS pandemic. It seems really important right now that we lift up the voices of those of us who have survived other eras during which the lid was ripped off of the lie of functionality in our society. A time when all of the ways we were valuing and devaluing our lives and each other became crystal clear The AIDS crisis called for new ways of thinking, acting, and relating that literally changed the world as we know it. I keep thinking, for instance, as people laud the ways that Dr. Anthony Fauci is foregrounding science and telling the truth inside an administration that is built on falsehood and a love of profit over people's actual lives, that it was really AIDS activists of the 80s and 90s who forged Dr. Fauci's consciousness and commitments, as we see him acting on them today. Because as a young scientific leader during the AIDS epidemic, Anthony Fauci was not the man he is today. He was much more bound by the conventions of the status quo and the needs of his superiors. And it took a lot of in-your-face direct action for him to literally wake up and join forces with AIDS activists so that we could stem the trajectory of death and destruction wrought by that disease. So seeing him step up in this period has really led me to think about what else we can shape. How else can we use our conviction and our relational power? What do we need to be doing today to forge the consciousness and commitments that are going to get us through this period? This is why I have brought Dr. Dasgupta here to help us think, dream, and move into our future with love, passion, and determination. Welcome Devanuj.
1: Hi, Jamie. It's just an <laughs> honor and joy to be here with each other mm-hmm. virtually, but virtual is real as I will speak more about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, introduce yourself, as we generally do in the pod, by offering first three descriptors of your desire for our listeners.
1: Hi, Jamie. Uh, I always think of myself as a slutty brown bottom, and I'm Mm -hmm. very proud of that. Very, very (laughs) Kind of, you know, it kind of sends tingles through my body to think of myself as a slutty brown bottom.
0: Mm, Thank you. And yeah, I'm wondering how you are today. Can you... Tell our listeners a little bit about the practices that you're growing to sustain yourself in this era of teaching remotely, as I know you are, and maintaining social distance from your beloveds and your your family.
1: Right. Thank you for asking that question. I think I'm going to keep it very real. Today, as I was telling you earlier, I have a little bit of a cold, a tonsil, discomfort, in my throat and ear, and it sends me panics, like, oh, do I have Mm -hmm. COVID-19 virus? Did I catch it? And it also sort of sends me back in time thinking about when I was first doing HIV-AIDS prevention work in the early 90s in Calcutta, India, and it wasn't as big. As a pandemic in India as yet, uh, HIV AIDS in the 90s, but we knew it was coming. So it's kind of the same rhetoric now as in like, oh, globally, coronavirus has spread. India is on a lockdown, but we know it's coming. And I used to always look for these signs like, oh, after sex, did the condom break? Do I have fever? Do I have a stomach ache? Mm. and I think like today, it reminds me of that. And I take that as a as a place of sustenance, as in like a place of strength. My queer ancestors fought and survived. Even if they died, they survived because mm. they left supple resources, paintings and poetries and dreams and murmurs and institutions and... You know, biomed's that you talked about, Dr. Fossey. The One of the ways I have been drawing sustenance for myself is I've been communing with those before us. So, for instance, a friend of ours, common friend of ours, posted a picture on Facebook about putting a bear by her window because the community children are doing panda spotting. Yes. And the brother was holding the bear with him, uh, when he was at Saint Vincent's in the in the late eighties, early nineties, I looked at the bear's picture and I thought of what it might have felt for him to have hugged it, right? And what it might have meant for this for this bear to travel from Saint Vincent's in her luggage, or was she holding it? How she has been saving and and holding on to it, and now putting it out to comfort children in her neighborhood. Mm were going on a walk, and I was so last night when I was going to bed, let's imagine his name is Bobby, you know mm-hmm. because my family calls me Bobby also, so last night, when I was going to bed, I was having an imagined conversation with Bobby because I remember having long conversations with our common friend about him, and I know yeah. treats street that he lives on and that's also a street where my best friend lives on and I have partied and walked around this block several times and I myself was admitted in St Vincent's in the early 2000s from pneumonia and you know AIDS complications and I was there for treatment so I just think about my first night there I was sweating from PCP from my pneumonia and I was sweating by wetting my bed and clothes, the gown. And my best friend, Rodrigo, was staying overnight sitting next to me and he would change my gown and powder me. And today we cannot be by each other. But I I see him a lot via Zoom uh, or via FaceTime and we chat. But that sensation of my very hot body and very cold body And him changing my gown. And I don't remember those conversations exactly. But there were some conversations. There were murmurs. And it was the 14th floor of St. Vincent. And I could see some lights and the shade of the shadow and light of the cars moving by from the room. So I, I think of these moments as very queer communion. One could think of them as very difficult, hard moments. And today i think of them as moments we collectively lived through Mm -hmm. and when i look at it i get a sense of serenity from it yes dear god we made it through it
0: yes yes Uh, the beauty of him attending to you there in that space and in that time and the question of how are we attending to each other how can we attend to each other and how can we think about that going forward i mean what really comes up for me as you said that is that st vincent's is now a condo Uh, it's a
1: luxury apartment complex
0: yes so many of the places and spaces of care that we created i mean the physical brick and mortar of them have been displaced the same is true here and have been obliterated i walked down 14th street in dc which has been completely gentrified and full of young white people and so many dead brown people. I feel them walking with me as I go by these unfathomable businesses that are there. And even our clinic, which we all worked really hard to establish, has now sold the building to be luxury condos just to sustain itself. I mean, I really appreciate that this clinic still exists and does serve our people. And, and yet it's like, we accept so much about the current system that is in place about how we must sustain ourselves. And I think this moment calls into question all the ways we have been just surviving in such a vicious system that so obviously now does not really center all of us collectively, our lives, right? It, it It prioritizes so few lives as as worthy.
1: That moment, I know you asked me about my teaching question, like what does being online mean and how do I sustain myself? I think I often think of how in this moment where everything about the body, being close to each other, breathing, sneezing, spit, even the air between people is dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. At least during the AIDS epidemic, it was like, as long as you don't have sex with somebody, right? I mean, we could be cuddling or hugging, you know, right. well, jack off on the video with each other. There is this kind of fulfillment and unfulfillment part. And teaching online, especially I teach gender and sexuality studies human geography where i'm talking of very real issues racial segregation zoning gender and migration and i don't get to see my students in this online space some of them have their videos on some of them don't how do you talk about bodies and race and place on an online class where I have to very quickly turn my materials into online resources. In my queer theory seminar, which is really about queer theory, uh, human rights, and geopolitics, I mean everything we are reading is very timely. We just read things about biopower, biopolitics, AIDS pandemic, regulation of bodies and desires, And I was tempted to give my PhD students an opportunity to take all of that and write five to 10 pages about the COVID pandemic. I thought about it and it was very, very attractive. But then I thought I might be re-traumatizing them. They might be coming to this class wanting to take a break, you know. Mm -hmm read something else, think about something else for the two hours, right? I mean, many of them have eventually ended up talking about, I mean, we just read Foucault on Security Territory Power, and he talks about the London plague. And this is in the in the 80s when Foucault himself knows he has HIV and he's very soon to be dying. And so students talked about that and I asked them if they wanted to and none of them took the option. Everybody wanted to write what they were writing, right? Yeah. So it was telling for me that how my online space could be a space that offers intellectual, you know, rigor to think about where we are right now, but it also could be a space that people are looking to, like, I'm not using the word escape, but have a sense of routine and familiarity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for me, I think what is happening is in this context, it's very easy to forget that I am a desiring body, that the touch is pleasure, you know, that the skin-to-skin connection, um, you know, provides some kind of bodily mechanism, you know, some kind of like... Literally, like synapses click and nerves touch nerves when we hug or kiss, yep. touch each other, and um you know what? What do we do in this lack? They're off, you know. Yep. And so, I don't have an answer. Um I've been sitting with it, and I've been, I've been, I've been learning to accept it. As you and I both know, acceptance is very important. It's like, unless I accept that right now there is a lack of physical touch, especially for me who is a single queer living in a suburban university town, I don't have a lover who's staying with me so we can self-quarantine together, you know? right? I, so there, there isn't that. And it's important for me to sit with it and accept okay. it. And there are days when I rejoice it because it's like, I finally have my body to myself. Oh, wow. Mm. Mm. Have I taken the time to stand naked in front of the mirror yet? No. Mm. I was thinking about this. Have I taken the time to take a really long shower and just like touch parts of my body that I can touch? You know, I haven't. And so these are clues for me who has... PTSD, survivor of multiple kinds of pandemics and trauma, I'm not present in my body. And there are ways through which I can still be present. But perhaps Mm -hmm. I'm over intellectualizing as a way of getting away from my body.
0: It's so interesting. You know, I'm sequestered with my two children. So Mm -hmm. I do feel like the hugs and the physical connections that we're having with each other are just really important. They're important to me in ways that don't maybe seem so important to them. But I'm just really aware of that the ways that we're treating each other, the ways that we're going to survive this time of being locked down, maybe for months, right? We don't know yet. I'm really in the one day at a time with them. My daughter is definitely, she's both more affectionate in this period and then more prickly and more brittle it feels like right that she can really very easily get into a hard space and as a parent I'm just really thinking about what can I do to support her system she's learning online she can't see her friends her really close friends live right down the street and they cannot see each other and then I have a 21 year old son who's home from college He's bi identified and has had lots of different lovers, but right now has this really incredible woman in his life who actually lives 20 minutes away. And so, for a period of this, we have been allowing her to come in and go and go just back to her parents so that it's, you know, our bubble, if you will. It, it really reminds me of the AIDS crisis, right? It's like managing our risk for pleasure, it's really good for his emotional state and his ability to sustain his goodwill and his good actions in the group for him to hold and have sex with his lover. And it's really good for her. And so I'm almost 60, her parents are the same age. And so we are holding this group. But for the next two weeks, everyone's decided they can't see each other at all. It feels like a very critical time. He's super grumpy. And I'm, of course, I'm a sex activist. I'm encouraging him to do all these, like, you know, different practices that we know, you know, video, masturbation, all the different t- to support him. And, you know, I'm his mother, so he doesn't want to fucking talk to me about that, which I completely understand. Um, but I'm just really noticing that he is naive to a time like this, right? He's used mm-hmm. to having access to sex whenever he wants it. And he actually needs more help what i can do is call in my other people who are close to him to right. call him and check in and try to build practices that are going to sustain him it's a very interesting time to be looking at our units of safety and how do we build practices within those units we've defined hmm. to maximize our health and minimize our exposure to
1: risk right and i'm as as you're talking about this i was thinking well, I have not had sex in two weeks and that's a decent period of time for me to, I mean, I've had periods in my life when I was early in recovery and we could talk a little bit about what recovery mean, means for me in this context and how yep. recovering from mm-hmm. You know, the 12-step model has been so helpful for me in this moment. so I went, I have not had sex in two weeks. And I was like, wow, this, I never even thought about it because I've been busy thinking about other things. And I'm like, oh, two weeks went by and I didn't have sex. And well, it's actually a good thing. And now I get to think about really what kinds of porn gets my jam. Right. What kind of sexual dialogue and Texting with the guys, you know, really gets me hard on, you know. I mean, maybe I will draw and write more about this as we stay more and more in the lockdown. And I really want us to write more. I know you have a question about, you asked me about how, what I take from our book, Friendship as Social Justice Activism. Yes, yes. And critical solidarities in global perspective that... Niharika Banerjee, Rohit Taskupta, you and I co-edited with so many wonderful activists and academics who even see themselves as activists busting these binaries, writing their heart out to each other. So, I mean, I do think that this is a time for me to write love letters, to tell oh. Oh. my friends how much I love them. Perhaps this is a time for me to make amends or go deeper with some of my amends. You oh. know? For that, I have to be emotionally and spiritually grounded. And right. what better a time to be in retreat with myself, right? To do this. So, you know, as you know, I'm in a 12-step recovery program and the Zoom, you know, recovery meetings have been a blessing because part of me is like, boy, I'm so glad I'm not using or drinking through this. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's not to judge friends who are drinking or maybe smoking other substances to kind of cope with all this. That's not to judge. But for me, it was a sheer shot to destruction, right?
0: Uh, and I-, I would, it's a risk factor given, it's right? I mean, it, w- it would put you at risk around the kind of distance we need right now.
1: Right? I would not look for distance. I would not think about those things. I would probably skip meds, I would be absent a lot from my work, I wouldn't be present for my feelings, including anxiety, that it's just helpful for me to observe that I'm anxious. Mm. Because if I don't observe it, I wouldn't be able to accept it. And if I don't accept it, I'm going to try to keep reacting to it. I'm going to try to control and manage my things that I'm anxious about. And this is a test case of powerlessness this situation that i am powerless over several things in this universe but what i do have power is how do i like the questions you ask is how do i sustain myself how do we connect with each other how do we rethink the interconnectedness of units in your case right and how do we think about for me, like I think writing the love letters or connecting with friends and telling them what they mean for, for me. So in our Friendship and Social Justice activism book, I wrote my piece, The Unruly Grammar of Friendship. I literally took from my step work, my first couple of years of recovery, And I literally took from there and I took from doing making amends with my best friend the letters that I wrote. And I took Mm. that language out and tried to think just like Audre Lorde or June Jordan or Bell Hooks, Gloria Ansela and any of these women of color asked us to do, to carve a weave out of our life. And so I said... Dear MRR, I have no words, a bundle of sensations. All I want to do is turn off the lights and get lost in dreams. At 48th and 8th, we held each other and said goodbyes. BR, I'm leaving a piece of my heart and life with you. Me too, D. am leaving a piece of my heart with you. Yearning for the days when we spent the night with each other, shaved each other's back. Mm -hmm. My friendship with B.R. is my sense of home, my innermost sense of security, belonging, loving and being loved. One of my biggest resentments has been losing his friendship. Well, being not being in physical proximity with him. Why? Why did I use make it difficult for him and for me? D, I was worried you were going to die. I was going to lose you. I was going to lose my best friend and I could do nothing. I decided to keep quiet and listen to his fear, confusion and how he is dealing with his boyfriend's depression now. I acknowledged that I had taken advantage, lied, acted from resentments, jealousy and fear. I told him I would never do this to a friend again. We looked into each other's eyes. I wish I did not have to say goodbye to him. I wish we were neighbors again, sleeping in each other's arms. We are best buddies. And seeing him bid goodbye while sobbing in the middle of maddening Times Square hurts. I want to get on that same train like we used to in our late 20s. I wish time would stop. Or as BR put it, can you take a job here and come back? Please, I miss you. Today, I will sleep, being grateful that I am experiencing this moment and being in New York City clean. That was 2015, my friend, and I think his 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 wish when he was kissing me goodbye. Can you take a job here and come back, please? I miss you. I hadn't gotten my job at university of connecticut then right it's about almost six or seven months later that i went on the job market and i got this job and i think when we conspire with our friends when we sent out these wishes into the universe um it it comes back it might not come back in your and my generation jamie it might come back in the next generation just as i I'm seeking sustenance in other countries, Black gay voices, reading this again. You know, all the Black gay men who went before me with AIDS and wrote letters. I don't even know if some of them are here. But reading them tells me they left this. They're here. Maybe you and I might not be here. But somebody, again, in another pandemic will find this. And I sit with this fragility and that makes me humble. What I want for the universe to be when this COVID-19 pandemic is over, maybe at least in this form, is... I want us to see that Mother Nature is breathing a sigh of relief, that there are dolphins in the ocean in Bombay, you know, that the Venice Canal is cleaner and fishes are swimming back. I see the deers roaming in the woods behind me. Air pollution is a lot lesser. That we will think this. And in the United States, I hope, I can cope against hope. The U.S. just seems to never learn that we yes. learn than any time before. The universal health care is needed, and it's it was needed hundred years ago. It's needed now, and I think like for us to really rethink the global north and global south, you know, division. Who would think Italy, Spain, yes. England, United States, the hardest hit with this pandemic, right? And there is no ventilators and no enough beds in hospitals. And I was talking with one of my younger gay male friends from Calcutta who is preparing for his medical exams in he wants to work abroad and, you know, wants to, he thinks being abroad as a gay doctor will allow him to experience freedom. And he was asking me, how oh, in the U.S. there is not enough beds and ventilators? I used to think that happens in India. And I said, well, the pandemic, pandemics always reveal what we do not want to see. Yep. And I hope we see. And I, I dream of a world with health care. I dream of a world where we don't think of viruses through race and racialization. I dream of a world where we don't think viruses, we don't blame pandemics on queer people and people of color. Um, I dream of seeing you soon and hugging each other in person.
0: Yes, I dream of that too. I I just can't thank you enough for this beautiful beautiful emergency podcast. You've given us all incredible sustenance and a lot to think about and dream about. So thank you. Thank you, Deb. I'll
1: thank see you, you soon.
0: I love you thank
1: You from a slutty brown bottom. I love you. I <laughs> love you. Bye. Bye.
0: Hey, it's time for that quick break in the pod where I thank my sponsors. You know, it's not easy to get sexual liberation work funded, and I can't thank these generous visionary sponsors enough. The Freeman Foundation, centering Eros and sexual liberation in the LGBTQ movement for justice. The Wild Geese Foundation, working to defend human rights and grow food sovereignty. Elizabeth Scott, a longtime mapper and philanthropist based in Minneapolis, and finally, Grinder for Equality, leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ human rights around the world. Thanks, everyone. That's a wrap. I hope you are well. I hope you are breathing. I hope you are staying connected to the people, nature, and daily practices that help you remember yourself, your strengths, your brazenness, your worth. More emergency podcasts are in the works as we grow emergent strategies together for surviving and thriving in this challenging moment and the next. I want to suggest that while our in-person interactions are contracting, our phone, text, email, snail mail, and video connections must expand. And we can be expansive in them. We can be brazen, vulnerable, ever more true to ourselves. We can still want more from this world and from each other. We can still want. I'm here. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a zillion stars. Send a link to your friends. Talk us up. If you'd like to respond to the show or stay connected, find us on social media under Just Sex Podcast and Desire Mapping. And if you have questions for me about your desire map or comments, you can email me at justsexpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Like we both agree on what to do.